Hello and welcome to the Congleton Town Football Club podcast. This week we're joined by goalkeeper Dave Parton, where we talk everything from penalty saves to goalkeeper goals. The former Stoke City youth goalkeeper discusses his career so far, from playing against Premier League stars to last season's memorable cup wins with Congleton. But first, let's get the reaction from Congleton player manager Richard Duffy after the Bears beat Loughborough students 3-1 to advance through to the third round of the FA Vars. A deserved win, I think. I think we created enough chances in the game to to win the game. I wouldn't say we let them back into it, but the last 20 minutes they took control and put us on the back foot, changed the way they wanted to play and, and put us under some serious pressure. And if they, if they nick another one with, with 15 to go, you know, the game could go different. But, I mean, for the first... 70 minutes, I thought we were we were really good. Ultimately, it was the result that mattered, so I guess that's the, the most important thing, is getting through to the, the next one of the FA Vars. Yeah, it's always the result that, that matters at this level, but you you know, you, the more performances you get to a certain standard, it just gives yourself a better chance of winning games, you know, and, you know, we, we were close off, you know, being being back to what, what we need to be, and um, yeah, it was, it was an enjoyable performance. We had to wait for the, for the first goal, not only in terms of the timing, but also for the decision to be actually be awarded. Um, again, it must be really satisfying knowing that it's from a, a, a corner and obviously when it comes off where you've worked on it in training yeah another another set piece which which you know we weren't great at beginning of the season if I'm honest really frustrating and in these games sometimes that's 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 the the be all and end all of how you're going to win a game you know it happened last Saturday you know we we scored one we give one away um, and they they are the fine margins and yeah, I'm not sure why the linesman have a flag. He, he said coming off for half time that he told the lines the, the referee was in by pressing the buzzer. Well, just put your flag up and let, let everyone know in the stadium that it's over the line. But um, yeah, it was, you know the boy said that he was. You know, I spoke to a couple of fans after there that it was definitely over the line. So um, yeah, it was, it was a good one. And then George, we mentioned in the week the fact that last week he perhaps was perhaps disappointed with the chances and he took his chance superbly. No, superb, yeah. That's, you know, two, two in a couple of games where he's, where he's bent, bent one in. So, yeah, hopefully that, that will give him the, the belief that, you know, the confidence, the belief, the courage to, to do what he's doing and, and to continue to do what he's doing, even if, you know, even if it's not working or not coming off. You know, you've got to, you've got to keep doing what, what you believe in. And, um, yeah, he was great again. And then Max, in fact, it was a, it was a pretty good all-round goal actually. The ball down from Marker, then then Dan, and then Marker the ball in, and it was a great quality finish and control for Max. No, definitely, you know, something we worked on in the week was you know getting balls wide and crosses in the box, and you know Max has had a great touch, and he tells me it's a bicycle kick, but I think it was a sort of hopeful over the head one, but no, great finish um, and deserved because you know setting half he was a lot better, he got hold of the ball for us. Allowed us to get further up the pitch. Um, so, yeah, deserved, deserved his goal. And was the perhaps disappointing side of it, if there is a disappointing side, was the fact you mentioned the lack of control towards the end. And is that why we saw the tactical change? You can't control 90 minutes, that's impossible. You know, you've got a, you've got a good, young, enthusiastic team there who, you know, look to pass the ball and look to play through the lines and they changed the way they tried to play and uh, by the time we, we worked it out and tried to change it you know they've, they've got the momentum in the game so um, obviously it's fair play to them but the frustrating part is that, that we did leave them back into the game but that's football it's, you know there's, there's two, two teams on the pitch and you know they have a right to, to play well as well and, and score goals and create chances so and, and we got to stop that so um, but no you know fair play to them and, and fair play to us to see the game out 
But overall, from the Bears' perspective, a good kind of all-round performance. Is that is that a fair comment? Yeah. I mean, if you offer me the performance before, I would have taken it because, as I say, we've been a little bit patchier late. I thought the first 20 minutes the other day, we were really good. And then, you know, for large, larger parts today, we, we were good as well and, and played to played to how we needed to play against them. So, really, uh, really happy. After the memories of last year, is this a competition that you want to go as far as you can in? Yeah, we want to try and do as well as we can in every competition. You know, we'll, we'll take every every game seriously, even, you know, whatever cup we're in. But yeah, it's, it's a competition that obviously ends up in Wembley, and you know, for, for players at our level, we, we, you know, let's be honest, we'll <laughs> apart from the Vars, we'll never get there. So you know, it's something we take seriously. That was Richard Duffy speaking after the FA Vars victory against Loughborough Students on Saturday. Congleton Town have been drawn away at Lincoln United in the third round which will be played on Saturday the 2nd of December. Last season the Bears reached the semi-finals with Dave Parton making saves in both the quarter-final and semi-final penalty shootouts as well as helping Congleton end the season with two trophies. So let's hear from the Congleton goalkeeper who is here to reveal all about his career so far. So first of all Dave, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I've been waiting for the call for a few weeks, actually. You've got some boring lads on, so I'm hoping that I can live up to it a little bit. <laughs> Let's first go back to the beginning of your career. What are your kind of earliest football memories? First ever game was probably when I was what, six or seven years old. I don't think, I think my mum and dad just forgot to take me a few weeks. So I've turned up at this team, Roll Lane Rovers, and they didn't have a space for me, but they had a space in goal. And my, my dad, actually, one of the few games he's probably missed in my whole career, wasn't there. My granddad took me and it was, um, didn't have a space outfield, so I just went in goal and I sort of just stuck there, really. I sort of put my head where people didn't want to put the feet and it's, like I say, I was one of the taller ones. So, yeah, it, it's I, I stuck there, really. And it's, uh, my dad wasn't very pleased at first, I don't think. I think he saw me as a bit of a centre forward. But um, when he seen that, I was actually could catch the ball and like I say put my head where people didn't want to put the feet it stayed there really and then it just it grew from there from Roll Lane up to up to Stoke and what have you I've always been intrigued actually to hear about how goalkeepers do first to take up the position so it was purely by chance kind kind of at first yeah I, I think it's just my mum and dad just didn't take me for a few weeks whether I don't know whether they've been out on the Saturday, on Saturday night and forgot about it Sunday morning what have you but my mum and dad weren't there the first game I, t- I went my mum and dad weren't there my granddad took me down to uh, Roll Lane and, and Newcastle and yeah, that, that was the first time I ever went to goal, really. And I can remember probably a couple of weeks before that, I went down to Staffs Uni and they tried to put me in goal. Then my dad was saying, no, you don't want to go in goal, you want to play out. But yeah, so that's where it all started, really, quite a young age. What position would you want to have been? If you could pick any position, what position would, would you pick? Oh, centre-forward easily, yeah. Because you can you can be rubbish for, what, 90 minutes, score a goal and you're, and you're the hero, aren't you? So, whereas in my position, I could be brilliant for 90 minutes and and let one in right at the death and I'm the villain. So, yeah, I, I definitely want to be a forward. But um, I keep saying to, to my kids, yeah, you want to be number 10, don't you? So um, I'm trying to sway them that way. But, yeah, I definitely a centre-forward. Being the goalkeeper hasn't certainly stopped you scoring goals and we'll come on to those later on, I'm sure. So you mentioned there about the Stoke City Academy. As a Stoke fan, was this kind of a dream come true? How did that all kind of all start? I can't remember too much. I can remember... So I was, I, was, I was eight or nine and I went to a, a trial match. Uh, some scout had seen me at a tournament or something. And I had the best game I've ever had in my life up to that point at this trial match. And they, they wanted to sign me straight away. Uh, but there's there another couple of clubs who, who wanted to take me on trial and what have you. But Stoke said, right, well, no, we'll sign you just off that game. I remember my dad taking me to the sign saying, like, who, who, what do you want to do? 
and there was yeah, it was a no-brainer for me at the time to yeah well, I'll support Stoke I go Stoke every week over the way I, I want to go play for him as well so yeah it was, it was a no-brainer for me back then I wish I thought about it a little bit more now maybe <laughs> might have worked out a little bit better but no it was like I say it was at the age of eight or nine going home and away every week it was a it was a no-brainer for me when you say you would have thought about it a bit better in terms of you wouldn't have gone down the academy route or you would have perhaps gone to a different club? I probably would have tried me and another couple of clubs potentially. I had another couple of chances when I was a bit older as well. I just stayed at Stoke and I wish I'd probably gone out of the comfort zone a little bit to um, to actually give it a go because who knows what would have happened. But um, I can't complain. I've, I've enjoyed my football so and that's the main thing really. What's it like being a goalkeeper kind of in an academy as you're going through the different age groups? It's a lot different. At the time, so I say, I didn't know any different. So I was there from the age of nine to 18. But it, it was a lot different in terms of I wouldn't be going out with my friends on the, the Friday and the Saturdays. I'd, I'd, I'd be quite disciplined in, in that sense. And I suppose you, you miss out on a little bit in terms of that side of it. Um, I made up for it as I got older, by the way. But no, but the um, you're really disciplined. It's your life, really. And it's what people know you for. It consumes you a little bit, I think. I think it probably consumes you. Well, it consumed me definitely a little bit too much in terms of it was football or nothing. So I suppose looking back on it, it was, it was quite difficult. I didn't think of it at the time, but yeah, it, it was a massive thing for me to obviously play for Stoke and playing in goal as well, where the pressure is on no matter what level or what age you are. So it, I suppose it's quite difficult. That's why you've got to be quite a, a tough character to be a goalkeeper, I suppose. And that's the thing, because particularly in your teenage years, as you mentioned earlier about one mistake could cost your team the game. How do you deal with that pressure? I don't think I dealt with it very well at all. <laughs> I thought that was probably one of my, my downsides in terms of I'd like to eat me up for a long time, really. It's not. It's probably since I've been playing men's football where I've been able to just sort of almost laugh it off. It, it really used to consume me as, as a kid, football, and sort of if I didn't play very well, it, it would ruin me whole weekend. And at times it wasn't wasn't very enjoyable just because of how serious you take it. I mean, I've heard people like, I know I'm not on that level, but Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher and people like that saying that they didn't really enjoy their career because of how much it consumes you. And I can sort of understand that because it's 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 a lot of pressure and you put a lot of pressure on yourself as well because listen, the, the end goal is is a, is a huge prize, isn't it? Playing professional football, so I suppose there's a lot riding on it in that sense. And how do you reflect on your time at Stoke? What was kind of the biggest thing that you learned? It was a massive part of my life and I loved every minute of it. I wouldn't be playing where I am now if it wasn't for Stoke and what have you. But it was, I really enjoyed it. But in the end, I don't think I was quite cut out for full-time football. I didn't really enjoy the training all the time. I didn't enjoy being disciplined all the time. And when I got to 18, I sort of tried to get away from that a little bit. And that was probably one of my downfalls. But I'm really glad that I had that opportunity to obviously play for Stoke, be on the bench a couple of times and what have you. So that was, yeah, I look back at it fondly. Probably a little bit of a missed opportunity at the same time, but listen, like I said, I won't change anything now. And you would have been there during the Premier League era. What was those years like to be around the, the club when the club were in the Premier League? Yeah, it, it, it was amazing, actually. It was, it was really good. You trained with the first team a little bit, but you could tell how much of sort of a close-knit group they were. Sometimes, the way I, I looked at it, it was sort of, against Pulis quite a bit and that sort of brought them together. I don't know whether he meant to do that, but um, you could see it was a very close-knit club and you could see, to be fair, how Tony Pulis ran the club with the, in terms of the tactics, the training, what have you, that they, they all knew what they were doing. And it's very similar to what Duff does now, that every player knows what they're doing and that was obviously on a higher level and what have you. But it was, it's really good insight to, 
to what you need to do to be a footballer on and off the pitch, really. And during your time there, the club's goalkeeper, this was perhaps in, in your later years there, was Begovic, Thomas Sorensen, Steve Simonson, I think Carlo Nash might have been there as well. Did you have much to do with them? What was that experience like? Yeah, so after my first year, my goalkeeper, my under 18 goalkeeper coach left and went to Aston Villa, Ronnie Sinclair, who coached me all the way through. So we didn't have a goalkeeper. I didn't have a goalkeeper coach, and I was the only youth team goalkeeper. So I was training with them like every single day, and it was. I look back at it now, and I was miles off them. Obviously, it was a great experience. I don't know whether it did me any good, sort of having them absolutely pat the balls at me all the time. I don't know, but it was amazing to see the standards they had every single session and how they looked after themselves and how much they, they thought about the position. Really, and it was it was a great insight, and I learned I learned a lot. I also learned that I was probably not quite good enough as well. Even even in that stage when I was 18, I sort of knew that I wasn't probably going to get to that level. But yeah, it was it was amazing to be able to, to just speak to them about football, really. It was it was really good. You played for the reserves at under-21s. I think they were classed as the reserves a, 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 few, yeah, a few times. Yeah. I want to look at some of the players you played against. And you played against the likes of Chesney and Senderos at Arsenal, Nemanja Matic at Chelsea, Daniel Sturridge, Patrick Van Arnholt, Nigel Ryokoka... The list goes on of Premier League quality players. That must have been some experience as well, having watching them on the TV and now playing against them and trying to stop them. Oh, yeah. It was, when you look back at that now and see where they've gone, to sort of be on the same pitch as them is amazing. I wish they'd, I'd have half the money they were on as well. That, that'd, be, that'd be quite nice. Um, but to be fair, going through, when, when, I was at, when I was at Stoke, I was playing against Sterling, Pogba, Rival Morrison every, most weeks. So it's... You sort of come up again. You see those players sort of play, playing in the Premier League now, and you're like, "Wow, I played against them all the way through." Jesse Lingard, people like that. So it, looking back at it, it's brilliant. I can remember the storage one. We took an under 18s team to Chelsea, and and they put a really strong team out. I remember Daniel Sturridge was obviously a high flyer, and he he was playing up front, and he he had a shot against me after about five minutes. I think he just hit me. I think he just hit me in the face. And I was thinking, Jesus, I'm in for one tonight. I think he chipped me for about three yards out as well. But yeah, it's it's all about standards and the standards that they, they've got is far beyond anything that, that we ever had, really. And, and especially me. But yeah, it's nice to be able to say that I've sort of shared a pitch with them, them kind of players. I'm not sure if you remember this, but you actually played in the same team at Stoke as Carl Dickinson. Um, when I found it, it was against Arsenal Reserves. Do you re- remember that game? I remember the game purely because I was 16 years old. I was about two weeks into full-time training. And then they put me into this game at Barnet. And I didn't. I couldn't remember if Dicko was playing, actually. But we had a really strong team out. And I think Arsenal had a really strong team out. I don't think I slept a wink the night before. I can remember getting all that hot sweats and all sorts. Like, you know when I'm on about how we put a lot of pressure on yourself? That was another level. And I ended up, I didn't play very well, I don't think. I was kicking balls into the stand, which obviously... Some people might say that's usual, but then I should have saved the goal as well. I can't remember who scored. I think it was, I think it was a decent player who scored, but I should have saved it. But again, it was it was a great learning curve for me. I was only just come out of high school and to play with players like like Dick, like Dick at the time, and I think Griff Andy Griffin was playing Richard Crestwell and what have you, which is amazing because like I say I used to go to Stoke Home and away, and then being on the same pitch I was brilliant at the time, but it was it was nerve wracking. Um, I don't think I handled it too well actually. Looking back at it. <laughs> Is that something that have you've grown older? You've been able to deal with it more, and 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 how is it just be, does it just come through with age and experience? Definitely, I, I probably we maybe go on to my career in a little bit, but it wasn't probably till twenty two, twenty three where I started enjoying my football really because I just put that much pressure on myself to 
to play well. And I almost used to get sort of imposter syndrome in terms of if I was playing for quite a big club in front of a few people, I'm thinking, oh God, am I good enough to wear this number one? That sort of uh, hindered me in, in my early years. And it wasn't until, I'd say, probably 23, 24, where I just thought, you know what, you are where you are. And I started enjoying it then. But yeah, it was certainly something that I've had to learn over the years because I don't think I'd be playing football at all now if I carried on how I was in terms of just not enjoying it really, just taking it too seriously, really getting hepped up about it, shouting at my own players, fighting with my own players. I wasn't a very nice teammate, I don't think, at times. So I've had to sort of calm down for my own sake more than anything in terms of just, just trying to enjoy it because it's a short career. You don't get paid much. It's it's one of them, and you just you've just got to try and enjoy everything that you're doing. And you mentioned earlier how you didn't sleep a wink before that Arsenal game, and I think you were actually on the bench for the Stoke's first team in a League Cup match against Portsmouth. I think this would have been maybe the autumn of 2009. What was that experience like, and did you sleep before that? Well, I was on the bench for the round before. There was me and my uh, my good friend Louis Malta was on the bench at Leighton Orient away. I did sleep. I, I, I was all right there because I, I knew I almost there was no chance I was going to get on. It was a good job I wasn't going to get on because of my strip. And I've still got it today at my mum and dad's house. It's an extra, extra large. And I wasn't extra, extra large at the time. I was maybe a medium. I was about 70 kilograms. So if I if I had got on, it, I would have looked an absolute embarrassment because it was like a 90. It was, so I'm, I'm glad I didn't get on. But no, I wasn't. I didn't get nervous for that because I almost knew I wasn't going to get on anyway. But the Portsmouth one, there's a good story about the Portsmouth one. So, I think we got I think we got beat three or four nil in the end at Portsmouth. We took a plane there and then on the way back, so we have gone up in the air, about two minutes in, we've ended up in like there's all smoke in the cabin and what have you. And I can remember I was sitting next to Liam Lawrence and he's absolutely cooing his pants and I'm thinking, what, what's going on? We've had to emergency land at Stansted <laughs> and we're like like the plane was on fire basically. This this chartered plane that Stoke had done. So we were at Stansted, we were meant to get off at Manchester and they put on this like this team bus that we have now on and all them players were probably on, what, 20, 30 grand a week, like, nah, we're not getting on that. So they all got in taxis and they all paid for me to get a taxi back from Stansted. Wow, do you remember who, who was in your taxi at that time? I think Andy Griffin paid for me. Um, I can't remember who was that. I slept most of the way, I think. But the taxis were good, like six, seven hundred quid back from Stansted. So it was, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a good story to tell. But I, I can remember that everyone else was like really nervous about the plane. I, I, didn't, I couldn't really think about it because it was, it was a bit of smoke, but I didn't think it was too serious. But when we emergency landed, there's, there's ambulances, there's fire engines and everything there. And we're like, oh, wow, that, was, that must have been quite serious. And looking back now, these stories, when you were, I don't know, seven year old, eight year old, you would have thought, that's not possible that you've had these stories and you can now tell these for many years to come. I don't think I'll be able to tell many of the stories to my kids for a few years. But I think there's, there's some there's some ones that I probably don't even tell my wife. So it's um, we'll keep we'll keep them for another podcast, I think. But um, there's some yeah some of the stories yeah they're, they're brilliant. I've got I've got loads of stories in terms of not just that one, but especially non-league. We've got there's been so many stories, so many characters who I've played with. When when I do finally finish it will be really enjoying my career and those are things that you'll back on really you don't necessarily look back on the games I don't think so when I look back now I sort of look back on the crack you have with the lads really and that's really what it's all about for me if you're having a good time in the dress room and you get on the dress room that normally leads onto the pitch as we've seen in the last couple of seasons at Congleton. So you left Stoke as a second year scholar I think it was the summer of 2011 what were those following months like for you and and, and you, you did join Newcastle Town so how, how did those few months kind of unfold and uh, and what led you to then joining Newcastle Town? Here's my sob story this is this is like the 
sob story that everybody has. I could have made it, but I didn't. But um, when I got released, I, I, I went up to my dad. I went up with my dad to one of the skyboxes at Stoke, and when they actually told me, like, I remember you, you've, you've said it to Mac on, on one of the other podcasts, Mackenzie. I was actually, in a way, quite relieved. And I know that sounds, I know that sounds ridiculous. I think my dad was probably more disappointed than I was, just because I didn't enjoy the, tra- the pressure of, of the training, the pressure of the games. I saw that my friends were going out and doing certain things that I wanted to get involved in. Uh, and an 18-year-old, an immature 18-year-old, I saw of the first time in my whole life, when, once I got released, I, I had a little bit of freedom, really. And I enjoyed myself for a few months. Went on trial to Oldham straight after. And it was going really well. I think I think I probably would have they would have signed me for a year. Um, but I was playing against Salford actually, and I, I did my knee against Salford sort of like a couple of days before they were going to tell me what was going on. So that put me back three or four months. Then I went to Newcastle Town really just to sort of get some games before I, I tried to go again. Really, I wasn't really keen on going again, but I just thought, well, my dad's been watching me for and taking me everywhere since I was about seven or eight years old. I suppose that's the least I can do. Boring, really, and I just sort of stayed at Newcastle Town. Really, all my friends were there. One of my best friends' dads was the manager. John Diskin was the manager, and Dave Sutton were running it with Ivan Lodge. And I just really enjoyed it, and I started playing quite well. So I just, I just ended up staying there, really. And yeah, that was that was a really good time in my, in my career. Really, that that team that I played with, they we're all still friends now. Two of the players, Tim Sanders and James Askey, were the best men at my wedding. Everyone was there. We, we still speak every single day, really, on WhatsApp. So it's. That was a that was a really good dressing room that I was in as well. I've been lucky enough really to be in a couple of good dressing rooms. And actually, you spent three seasons at Newcastle Town, and you actually voted into their all-time best eleven. I think that was a couple of years ago. Wow, so you must have made a good impression on them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was rigged a little bit. I think <laughs> I think um, a few a few of my mates might have voted a few more times than they should have. I really enjoyed it in Newcastle Town. So the first season I was there. The first six months were really hard. I know, again, the lads have said it on the podcast. Coming into men's football, it was a massive wake-up call, especially the goalkeeper coming for these crosses. You've got 35-year-old lads coming and breaking your ribs and what have you. And it, was, it was a massive wake-up call for me. I didn't do very well. I sort of started well, and then for about six months after, I was really poor, actually. I, I wasn't playing very well at all. I wasn't enjoying it. And I think looking back at it now, that was just me adapting to, um, to men's football. They probably 18 months after the first season, that was probably some of the best football that I played. I really enjoyed it. I felt fit, I felt athletic. And the team was sort of coming to grips with what we needed to do because we had a really young team at the time as well, I think. When I was there, the oldest player was, was Timmy Sanders at 24. So we were a really young team, but we, we showed signs of being a really good team as well. But yeah, those 18 months sort of after the first season, probably some of the best, best I played really in terms of the all-round, the all-round game. Do you think it was an important step for you to get that enjoyment back and actually to play regular first team football? Because that was a kind of a crucial point, I guess, in your career after leaving Stoke, getting that enjoyment back and actually getting first team regular football. Yeah, that season was the most learning season that I've had. I learned the most in that season more than any other season. I'll say that to anyone that anyone who's sort of just been released by a club and is sniffing around non league, they just need to play games. And, that, and that's one of the good things that I did really. When you say about enjoyment, I still wasn't enjoying it massively because I was, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to play. It was a little bit more relaxed in terms of that because they're all my mates. There was a couple of lads who I went to school where they were playing and what have you. So I wasn't particularly enjoying this because I didn't really enjoy the matches too much. But that season was the one that I, I learned the most definitely. Just how to look after myself, really. If someone's going to put their foot in somewhere, I need to put my foot somewhere else to get there before them and things like that. So, but yeah, it was a really important year for me, that. 
Then in the summer of 2014, you made the move to Altrincham. At the time, they'd just been promoted into what was then called the Conference Premier, but now the National League. How did that move come about? Because at the time, you were stepping up three divisions, I think it was, into the top tier of non-league football. Yeah, well, like I said before, I played pretty well that 18 months before. I had been injured for probably the last three months of the season. But before that, I was playing really well. I was, it's probably some of the best football I've played. One of my good friends, Jake Malt, was playing for Ultragum at the time. He ended up playing five, six hundred games for him. I think he just put a good word in. Well, I don't think. I know he put a good word in for me. And it sort of went from there, really. I had to pay some money back to Newcastle Town so I could go because they, they paid me a little bit through the off-season. So I had to pay that back so they'd let me go and, and things like that. But it was, um, it was like I say, it was, it was a really good move at the time because, like I said, it was, it was three divisions up and it was a massive move. Whether it was a little bit too big for me at the time, potentially sort of where I was with how I felt about football and how I felt about myself. It was probably maybe a little bit too too high to go straight away. But like I said, again, I, I wouldn't have changed it because it was a really good experience. When you joined, was it with the expectation that you would be the number two behind their number one, who was their all-time record appearance maker, Stuart Coburn, at the time? Or were you there to kind of challenge him for that number one spot? I suppose from the outside looking in, it's probably the expectation to be number two. But I... I thought I was better than Stuart. <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, in pre-season, and by the way, Stuart this time was probably about 38, 39. So his, his best years were probably behind him as well. But I had a really good pre-season. Um, and I felt I was a little bit unlucky not to start the season, actually. But I got in probably two or three games in and had quite a decent spell in the team. I, played, I think I played seven or eight games until I got dropped. So no, it, was, it wasn't the expectation, actually. I, I wanted to go there to play because I'd never really seen the points, especially the goalkeeper in non-league actually just sitting on the bench what's the point so no it wasn't I, I wanted to play I wanted to go there and play it certainly did as well you had a run of games in the team to go from Northern Premier League Division 1 to the Conference Premier did it feel like a big step up? Yes and like, like I said before I put a lot of pressure on myself actually it probably made it a little bit harder for myself um, I had a little bit of an imposter syndrome in terms of everyone oh, playing at this really good level now I've been playing in front of the man and his dog at Newcastle Town, which literally there's a time, there's probably about 50 people there when we were playing, to them playing in front of a couple of thousand, like Altrincham and, and things like that. So it was it was, it was was a massive step up. And like I said, again, I, I probably wasn't mature enough to sort of deal with that. I probably didn't believe in myself enough to actually get the most out of it, out of it really. And I had a little bit of an imposter syndrome with that. And that showed in the end, really, I think, why I didn't play more games than I actually did. Because you did end the season as the number one, or you did have that run of games at the end of the season when you did um, play. How, how do you reflect on your time at Altrincham? Is it a good experience that you can now look, look back on, having learned and then glad that you played at that top tier of non-league football? Yeah, so Stuart got injured probably six or seven games from the end and we were, we were safe anyway, I think. I don't think we won a game after, after we got injured. <laughs> I, don't, I, didn't play, I didn't play particularly well, if I, if I remember rightly. I look back on it, with a bit of regret, really, just in terms of I wish that I'd sort of been myself a little bit more. I went in there and I was quite reserved and quiet. And people who know me, I'm not reserved or quiet. And I suppose it's that thing of sort of not believing that I belonged there. And it was, yeah, it was that really. I wish now I'd look back on it and I'd just been myself. I think that probably would have been stood in better stead, really. But I'm proud to say that I played at that level. And like I say, again, I probably I wouldn't change anything. And then after the season at Altrincham, you then joined Hednesford. And then were you there for a few months and then did you return to Newcastle Town at that point? Yeah, so I went to Hentsford. Um, I, I was just trying to play as high as I can. And again, I started really well at Hentsford. I had a really good pre-season. We had a really good start to the season. Then the managers left and went to Telford. The new managers come in. 
I didn't play very well his first game. After that, he didn't really fancy me. And I, I could feel that he didn't fancy me, really. He was waiting to get me out. And that's to be fair, I wasn't playing very well. And in my last game, I got sent off. And I just went to him on the Tuesday after said, listen, I'm not enjoying it. I don't think you want me here. Uh, I'll go. And he was like, yeah, fair enough. I, I was going to make you go anyway. So I sort of jumped before I was pushed. And I sort of went back to me. My comfort zone really with Newcastle Town because I just needed I just wanted to play football and I enjoy it and sort of not have that massive pressure of a thousand people watching me I, I just wanted to sort of enjoy it a little bit So when you mentioned earlier about you about 22, 23 when you felt like you are really enjoying football when was that in terms of your career? What club were you at then? It was probably after I left Nantwich actually I was really disappointed when I left Nantwich because I thought I'd been partially done by Phil Parkinson was the manager at the time and I was playing really well I sort of kept 10 or 11 clean sheets up to Christmas, so which was a decent return. I don't, just don't think my face fitted there. I was really disappointed. I can just remember thinking to myself, like, it's not it's not worth getting yourself all hepped up about it. And from then on, I just tried to sort of relax about football, really, and not take it too seriously, not bring it home with me, just just leave it in the dressing room. And, and that's sort of when the mindset changed. And also, I felt more comfortable sort of on the pitch and within myself, really. So it, it, was, it was after that, really, sort of after the disappointment, I just thought it's it's not worth it. It's not it's not worth getting yourself into these states about it really. So you mentioned your time at Nantwich, and then was it Kidsgrove and Newcastle Town where you were, and perhaps that was when your enjoyment and your change of mindset occurred. Yeah, yeah. So soon, when I left Nantwich, I was really I, I was really disappointed. Like I said, I thought I'd been really harshly done by. But then, and after that, I just I tried not to take it too seriously. I tried to you know whatever's happened in the game, forget about it, leave it in the dressing room. And that's sort of been my mantra really ever since ever since there because it's a game of football at the end of the day. It's it's not life and death as long as much as sometimes we feel like it is, it isn't life and death. And yeah, that sort of helped me sort of uh, in my career really to to enjoy it a bit more and it's helped me on the pitch and off the pitch, definitely. After Nantwich, you then spent a few months or a season at Kids Grove. What was that experience like? Because I guess you would have perhaps played with some people that you're now playing with at Congleton. Yeah, so I, that's where I first bumped into Aaron Johns. First time we played with each other, probably about six, maybe six seasons ago now. John Beaumont would have been there. There's, there's loads of Kyle Diskin. I'm trying to think who I played with there now. But yeah, there's there's a, there a few others who've sort of mingled around the non-league scene and followed each other to different clubs. But um, yeah, that, that season at Kids Grove, we were rubbish, really. Probably the season that I didn't enjoy the most, actually. Um, it was probably one of my better seasons because I, I, I won... When we got to the end of the season, I won all the awards. Won the managers, player, players, player, sports player, Mark Parton's player of the year. I had a really good season, but the, the club was wasn't a very nice place to be at the time. I think it's changed a little bit now, so that's why I decided to sort of move to move to Whitchurch because it was nothing to do with, with them offering me more money or anything like that. The Whitchurch has offered me exactly the same money as, as I was on at Kids Grove, but. I just didn't want to be sort of part of sort of that environment, really, at Kidsgrove. And, and there's some really people at Kidsgrove, don't get me wrong, but I just think at that time we weren't playing very well. People were expecting better of us. And that's why I was on the season, really. Then you joined Whitchurch Oldport, like you mentioned, in the summer of 2018. I think it's fair to say you actually have fond memories from your time at Whitchurch. It was a really good time to be there. It was it was a little bit like Congleton in the sense at the moment where the community at the time, so they just got promoted into the Northwest Counties. The community was really behind the club. We were getting really good crowds in for what Whitchurch had notoriously got. And it was really good. I, I really enjoyed being there. There were certain things again, which I was like, the travel was, was a bit of a hard one. It's probably 45 minutes from my house. There were certain things that went on at the club, which I didn't really agree with. But it was overall, it was a really, it was a really good place to be. And I, I really enjoyed my time playing at Whitchurch. Actually, some of the fans 
were absolutely brilliant. When we played against them uh, earlier on in the season, they still remember me. I still remember them. And yeah, so like I said, really fond memories. And we had some really good cup wins there. We we beat Market Drayton in well, the Huddersfield Cup. They do it a little bit differently in Shropshire, which then got us into the Shropshire Senior Cup final against Shrewsbury. And Shrewsbury put a really strong team out at the time. They played played three or four professionals. And, and, we, and we beat them at, at, at Shrewsbury, which was an amazing experience. It's probably one of Whitchurch's greatest nights, if you like. So to be part of that, it's it, it's really good. And there's, I think there's still like a little, there's a picture up at the, at the ground with, with all of us celebrating. It was a really good time in my career, actually. I wasn't taking it dead, dead seriously. Players I was playing with might, might argue I was moaning at them a bit too much, but I wasn't taking it stupidly seriously like I was before. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And there must be, during your time there, one of your most memorable moments of your career. I know there's a lot of talk about your goal that you scored for Congleton, but actually you scored one for Whitchurch. A 95th minute equaliser it was against Ashton Athletic in a free or draw. What memories do you have of that moment? Talk us through it because it sounds spectacular. Uh, so my first memory was, the first goal was my fault. So I don't know what I was doing. I'd come out and tackle the centre forward on about the halfway line. Thought that he'd fall over rolled the ball out and then he's come around me and scored. So me scoring at the end was probably making up for that. But no, it was it was an amazing moment. I wish there was more people there really because I don't think there was that many there that day. And I don't think he got caught on camera either, which I'm a bit disappointed about. But I can just remember going up and it was Joe Cuff who was, who was playing for Sheffield now. He, he put the cross in and it's just landed straight on my head. The keepers come and try and knock me block off. And I've just put, I've just put my head there. And I, I knew as soon as it hit me, I didn't even watch it go into the net. I, I knew it had gone in and I'd, I'd had some uh, some wild celebrations, so much so that we probably about a minute left. And I couldn't breathe up the top end. I was I was absolutely exhausted because I think I'd done about three laps of the pitch. Um, so it was a good job that they didn't have any more chances because I don't know if I'd been able to save them. There's a lot of talk about when goalkeepers go up for like corners and set pieces at the end of the game and actually the percentage of actually goals that are scored. Was your job there just to cause chaos or were you actually going to try and score a goal? No, I wanted to score, yeah. I've been close once before when I was at Newcastle when I was I was young, I was about 20, at Romulus. And I'd hit the post with a header and I, I, I never thought to get anywhere near a chance again, really. So to... To be able to score a couple of goals is, is amazing. I always fancy my chances. I'm, I'm normally taller than the because they don't know who to, they don't know who to mark when I go up there. So they normally put the smallest person on me. So I've got half a chance. But no, whenever I go up, I, I do fancy my chances of getting a goal. Do you practice them? No, <laughs> no. I think it's probably the first time I've properly added the ball in a while. I, I, I'm not very good at editing, really. So no, I don't practice at all. I think my eyes were closed for, and it just hit me in the right place. Sorry to go from one of your most memorable moments to perhaps one of your lowest moments. And I think you probably, sorry to bring this up, but I think you probably knew that this was going to come up. This is the game against Congleton in December 2018. It's been mentioned on the podcast a few times recently. Was this perhaps one of your worst football memories? Yeah, I'd just like to clear something up. I wasn't crying on the pitch. That, 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 that got mentioned. And so I, I certainly wasn't crying. I, was, I wasn't very happy, but it was, it was ridiculous, actually. I think I'd saved a penalty in the first half if I remember rightly. And then we were 2-0 up, cruising. And you went down to eight men. Griff said nine men. on the. It was eight. So Griff got sent off first because I think that had been brewed from about minute one. I think he just wanted to get sent off that day. And then in quick session, you got another couple sent off. And for whatever reason, we just absolutely fell apart. Everyone ran up front. We had no shape whatsoever. And one of my good friends, Leon Ashman, was playing centre-half at Whitchurch. And we just kept getting left 1v1 one, one with, with Saul Henderson and... Um, yeah, he kept, he kept running through and 
it was yeah, it was bizarre. I can't remember. I can remember one. I can remember Saul scoring past me. He's pointing past me at the far post, and then the third goal, I've sort of started to come out, slipped, and then it, I can't remember who it was who scored the third goal. Has got round me, and it was. I can remember looking over at the side, and like I said, we had quite a few fans there at the time. Probably that's probably touching three or four hundred, and Griff was obviously in the tunnel. And he's come running out straight in front of the fans and done this knee slide. Probably put him out for another six weeks after he did it. And it was, um, yeah, it was a horrendous day. I can just remember going back into the changing rooms. And I was talking about it with Aaron Johns actually the other day. And it was almost laughable. What the hell has just gone on here? Like we, we've just lost. We're tuning up against eight men. And we've just we've just lost 3-2. It was, it was embarrassment, really. And that, yeah, it, that's... One of those that I want to forget quite quickly, but it keeps propping up every now and again because I ended up signing for you. You did sign in early 2020. You joined Congleton. How did that move come about? I was thinking about this the other day. I can't remember how it came about. I can remember Chris ringing me and he was very to the point <laughs> that he wanted me to come. And I was like, I was quite happy with Church. I, was, I almost knew sort of the time was getting near to leave. It sort of hit its sort of peak, I think. Um, I was getting a bit sick of, of travelling there. One of the lads who I was travelling with it, it sort of said that he was going to pack it in as well. So I knew that it was coming to an end, but I was, I was still quite happy there. So I, I needed it selling to me. We played Congleton on the Saturday and we drew 1-1 and I, I had a decent game. And I think, reading between the lines, after that game, Chris and uh, Griff at the time were like, yeah, we need to sign him. And he took me to the pub. Well, which I think has been been a, been a bit of a theme. They took me to the Chatley Whitfield. I had a meal, I had a couple of beers, uh, and yeah, and they saw me the dream. And it's it's sort of gone on from then. It must have been quite a strange time to join a, a football club because you joined in the February, and then a month later, that's when the COVID lockdown started. So I think you must have only played maybe two games before the season finished. How strange was that period, having just joined the club, to then not being able to, to train or play with them for several months? Yeah, do you know which two games it were? I don't know. Right, so it was a Liverland away. And if you, you've been to Liverland, it is the, one of the worst places you can play football at. And it was, I think we lost 4-1, and that was atrocious. It was my first game. I, so I think I let one in direct from a corner, which got caught in the wind and went in the near post. And then I should have saved the fourth goal, and I was terrible. And I, it came from absolutely nowhere, because I was playing quite well up to then. And then we played against Northridge Vicks, I think it was, or 1874, one of the two. On a Sunday, it was one of those groundhopper days. It was 11 o'clock kickoff, and we lost 5-2. And funnily enough, it came up on the on YouTube uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I watched the game back, and oh my God, I was horrendous. I, I, I'm, I think three of the goals were my fault again. So the start of my career at Congleton was terrible, really. So when you talk about the lockdown, it's probably the best thing that's happened to me <laughs> because my, my confidence was in the gutter and I, I don't know where I would have gone from there because I was playing I was playing terribly. So the lockdown came at quite a good time. And if I remember rightly, I think the lockdown, and this is quite controversial to say, but I think the lockdown came at quite a good time for Congleton as well because we were in between managers. I think the club was in a little bit of a transition stage, shall we say. My first training session wasn't a training session. We went to the pub because there was sort of crisis talks between different people and everything. So. I think, personally, the lockdown was probably one of the best things that happened for me, definitely, at Congleton. So I don't think I would have played as many games as I have if I'd have carried on playing how I was. But it probably gave Congleton a little bit of a breather as well to sort of regroup, bring Ryan and bring Duff in, and, 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 and we could go from there then. So, so yeah, I've got quite an interesting take on the lockdown because I think it did us all a bit of good at Congleton, especially. It definitely did me a little bit of good, having a bit of time not playing football, where I could sort of learn how to catch again, which was, which was nice. 
once the new season started, again, it was a shortened season, but you still managed to fit in two penalty shootouts. Again, when you were, I think you made a penalty save against New Mills in the FA Vars, and the next round, it was another penalty shootout win against Coventry United. Do you actually look forward to penalty shootouts, or is that going too far? I think I saved a penalty in the Coventry United game as well, didn't I? I think but you did, I, I, yeah. I did, I think I did. I had quite a good run at that time. Um, no, I prefer not to have penalty shootouts. But I back myself. I think I've lost one in about 10 years, which was the, the Vars semi-final. I, I say to the lads, I always say, I'll, I'll give you two. If you, if you miss three like they did in the Vars, then I can't really help you. So, um, But no, I don't I don't really look forward to them. But I do back myself when when it comes to it. We'll talk more about penalty shooting a little bit later on because we've got to talk about last season. Uh, before we do, there was a memorable moment in February 2022. And now, goalkeepers are there to prevent goals, but you're part of quite an exclusive club, actually, because not only did you score the goal for Whitchurch, but actually you scored one for Congleton. So, February 2022, at Congleton, playing Barnoldswick, and you've got the ball, which is well in your half. And actually, I'll let you talk through the rest. Yeah, so it was about 300 yards away from the other goal wanted, so I've absolutely boomed it. Um, no, um, so I broke my ribs against Bursko. It was the worst injury I've ever had in my life. I broke about six ribs from a knee. It was my first game back, and it still weren't quite right, my ribs, but I thought, oh, I, I need to play now, I need, I need to get back in. So, yeah, I, it, was, it was at the time where Tom was up front and we were just booming everything up to Tom. So I, I aimed for Tom. I thought to myself, as soon as I hit my foot, I thought, oh, it's gone too far. And I could see him sort of turn around, so I turned around, like try to throw his arms up. But then, um, yeah, so he bounced in between him and the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper's got caught all over the shop. And I think the goalkeeper's ended up helping his end a little bit. When it went in, I was like, oh my life, I'd, I'd never thought that I'd be able to reach that far, first of all. And it was it was an amazing feeling. It, uh, I think it took us 2 1 up, uh, and then they scored about two minutes after, which sort of killed it a little bit for me. Yeah, again, it's it's something that's, that's up that got videoed that did as well, didn't it? Um, and I was on Radio Stoke and what have you. So it's, it's a, it'll be a nice thing to look back on when I stop playing. It'll be a nice thing to show the kids, I suppose, that your dad could kick it quite far sometimes. So, yeah, it's a, it's a nice memory for me. Have you tried it since? <laughs> I don't think I've reached since. I, I had a free kick, actually, the other week in about the same place. And I looked and I, it, it did cross my mind. I was thinking, that was, that was a fair kick, actually. Um, I don't think it even went half the distance. Yeah, no, I, I, I haven't, I haven't got anywhere near it since, and I, I don't think I'll get anywhere near it again. So it was, um, it was certainly a bit of a fluke. It didn't get goal of the season, did it? Which I thought was, Duffy gave it to to Popey for a little chip from about twenty yards. I was thinking, I said to him, like, no one in this team has ever scored from eighty yards away. Have they? And he hadn't given goal of the season, which I which I was fuming about. But yeah, so that 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 sort of that sort of stuck at me a little bit that he, I didn't get goal of the season off with once in a lifetime shot. Which is more memorable for you, the one for Whitchurch or the one for Congleton? Probably Whitchurch, just because it was. I've gone up for the corner last minute. It was it was quite an important game because I think we we weren't playing great at the time. We were very close to sort of dropping dropping down and sort of getting into a little bit of trouble, if I remember rightly. So yeah, it was probably the Whitchurch just for the header. But like I say, scoring one for about eighty yards away isn't too bad either. And how does the feeling of scoring compare to making a penalty save? Very similar, yeah. It's it's very similar. I suppose the the one when we won it uh, in the Macron Cup, that's 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 better than scoring a goal, I think, for me. I wish I could have a few more penalty saves, like I say, and that's what we're saying about centre forwards. If you score 20, 20 goals a season, you get that feeling twenty times. I probably get it maybe twenty times in my whole career if I'm lucky. So um, yeah, it's very similar. It's probably it's probably on par, I'd say. 
So let's talk about those penalty shootouts from last season. I don't want to go into too much detail because I spoke to Darren Chadwick about his penalties. And ever since I spoke to him about it, it seems to put some sort of curse on him. Um, but what's it like being a goalkeeper in a penalty shootout? No pressure, really. I, I don't feel, I think it's probably the best position to be in because if I was standing on the halfway line watching all the penalties, I feel a bit helpless. Um, I, I don't think I'd enjoy it at all. I don't, I don't like watching our penalties in the game, especially recently when Darren's been taking it with his head, whatever he's been doing to try and miss him. So, yeah, I, I think I'm in the best position because I've got nothing to lose. No one's expecting me to save any, really. And if I do save something, I'm the hero. So it's, so it's all good. Your teammates seem to back you. You've said that you back yourself. What gives you that kind of confidence? I think there's no secret that you do research when you can, but what gives you that confidence? I suppose I've just, I've, I've had quite a good, in my, in my career, I, I didn't really, funny enough, I didn't really save a penalty until I was about 20. That When I, when I was growing up at Stoke, I never saved one at all. And when I did save one, it'd be a rebound and gone in. So I, I wasn't very good at penalties up until about 20. And then since then, I've, I reckon I've got a, a pretty decent record with anybody. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I do I, I do research occasionally for the big games or if it's, but most of the time it's sort of trying to look at the run-up and things like that. And, and yeah, but the thing is, most of it is luck. Most of it is, right, I've not a clue where you're going. I reckon you're going to go this way. You've given me a little bit of an inkling where you're going. I'm just going to, I'm going to dive there. And, that, and that's what it is at this level. It's not like you, you see Pickford with his, all these different options on his on his drinks bottle. That's not the case. It is a lot about luck, uh, no matter how much research you do, because the penalty takers invariably, when I've looked at them, they go the other way anyway. So it's it, it's one of them. So it's yeah, it's, it's mainly luck for me. So talk about that Berry penalty shootout then. You saved the Berry penalty, which then saw Lewis Shaw able to step up and send Congleton through to the semi-finals. What was that feeling like? That was probably the pinnacle of my whole career, actually, that Berry game. It was an amazing atmosphere. That was that was my that was my favourite game of the season, actually. Out of out of all of them. And yeah, it was an amazing feeling. That I've never actually felt like that on a football pitch. I thought that when you see these people like getting teary after a game, you're thinking, oh, what, are you, what are you doing that for? It's only football. But I can remember going over to Duffy and Duffy was like, couldn't speak to me. I was thinking, Jesus, this is what football does, is it? So yeah, it was it was an amazing feeling. It was, it was an amazing day. And it was so close to not being that. I want to give a shout out to Mackenzie here, actually, even though he came me for the for the fines. Because if you remember, with about a minute to go, they've gone through on goal and he's done, it's the best tackle I've ever seen in my life. Like it, the lads are ready to just tap it in for about two yards and he's, he's got his leg wrapped around him in about that 90 degree angle. And he's, he's managed to flick it away from him. And it's when when things like that happen, you sort of just think, yeah, this, this is our day, this is. And, and I was quite confident once Barry took his the second time, because he, he, if you remember, he, he took his penalty, then the referee made him retake it. Once he'd taken it, I was quite, I was quite confident in the lads. And yeah, it's just, it just sort of felt like it was meant to be. Sadly, the Newport Pagnall game wasn't meant to be. Just how tough was that moment? It was tough. It was disappointing. I was disappointed for everybody else, really. You know you can sort of deal with the disappointments, but you, you, you feel sorry for the people who sort of put all the effort into it. And, and getting so close to the Holy Grail, if you like. Yeah, it was, it was something that we'll probably look back on and think, oh, so, so close, but so far. Pope, had a chance right at the end, if you remember. And he's just put it just wide with, with a header, which you back him 99 times out of 100. But yeah, as soon as we missed the first, we missed the first three penalties. It's it's sort of back backs against the wall then. And it's not meant to be, but listen, you never know, do you? So it, hopefully we can come around again and we can take a chance this time. 
After that game, the way the team bounced back with the two cup wins, was that something that you're particularly proud of, the character of the team, the way that you did bounce back and, and then ended the season with one of the most successful seasons? Yeah, I think that's a testament to the dressing room, really. We, we, when I spoke about Newcastle Town being a really good dressing room, Congleton is is probably the better up there with that one as well. It's just, if we weren't so close-knit, it probably could have killed us. Probably could have derailed the season, but like I said, we it, it didn't really. It felt like we were over it quite quickly as a team, and like I said, we bounced back tremendously. And the lads, especially against Ultra, and we played, we played absolutely one of the best games we played probably. There were spells where we outplayed a conference team who had all their best players out, by the way. So yeah, the way they bounced back was amazing, and like I say, it's testament to the dressing room. It's testament to Duff as well in, in Griff to be able to sort of pick us up after that as well, and it just shows what great lads they are as well. The Altrincham final. Before we talk about the penalties, there's one moment in particular I wanted to mention. The score at the time was 1-0 to Congleton. And uh, I think an Altrincham shot hit the inside of the post and appeared to just bounce straight back into your arms. <laughs> and I remember you looking be- behind the goal at the Congleton fans and you just had this grin on your face, this smile. What was growing through your mind at that stage? And is it even broadcastable? Uh, yeah, you're lucky, sorry, because I should I should have kept hold of it. So I've I've, t- I've ended up tipping it onto the post, and then it came straight back to me. And it, again, like we said with the Berry game, with with Mackenzie's tackle last minute, it was one of those moments where you thought, "Hey, up like this, this could be this could be our day here." And I, I honestly felt like it's going to be our day. I think when things like that happen, you just get a little feeling. Um, I was sort of laughing out of embarrassment, I think, because if it went in, then it would definitely have been my fault. So yeah, but it was it was it was a good moment. There's a good picture of it actually, and it was yeah, it's it's, an, it's another nice little moment for me, I think. And then the penalty shootout. It was at the other end, and again, obviously, we we won the won the penalty shootout. The penalty save that you made. What a feeling that must have been against all the odds. Yeah, well, I get a bit of stick for that save, you know, because everyone said, "Oh, no, you didn't touch it." But well, I, I, we had actually done a lot of bit of research. That's where you when you're playing against. So sort of better players. I knew that every time he took a penalty under pressure, he went down the middle, and I did get a touch to no matter what what anyone says. And yeah, that was that was amazing to be able to to beat that team, that ultra good team. It wasn't like they put an under 18s team out. It wasn't like that. They put their best team out that day. Let's make no two bones about that. And to be able to win that cup for the first time in what 80 years or whatever it was, it was an amazing night. And having all the Congleton fans fill that end as well, it was. It was it was really special. Again, it's one of those things that only when we stop playing that we'll look back on the thing. Uh, it was it was a brilliant moment to be part of the club. Then when the Macron Cup went to penalties, did you think, oh no, not again? Or were you thinking like, yes, another penalty shootout, another moment that I can try and and, and put my name into the, the history books? No, I wasn't so confident on on the Macron Cup for whatever reason. I hadn't played very well. The first goal was my fault. I came for a cross when I shouldn't have come for, and then their lads scored that. Scream in the last minute, which is probably one of the better goals that I've conceded. And it felt a little bit like, oh no, this isn't going to be our day. But uh, I've heard a podcast from their manager saying, oh yeah, he was getting in their heads. I didn't say anything to their players, really. I just said what I always say to them. And I didn't do really any research on them either. So it was it was all pure luck, really. They sort of gave me a little bit of inklings where they were going. But yeah, that was that was a, that was a, that was a great moment. I actually preferred the Macron Cup to the Ultra game, fully enough. I don't I don't know why that is. I think it's Maybe because I saved two in the penalty shootout to one. I don't know, but I look back on that game a little bit more fondly. Actually, I don't. I don't think I enjoy the Ultron game too much, really, just because I, I don't like being the underdog, really, and, and then being sort of bombarders at the end. I didn't really. I didn't really like. It. I'm not much for playing the Macron Cup, for whatever reason. So yeah, that again, that's a really fond memory. 
And one thing I do want to mention is your family. And it's and your your dad's been mentioned a few times. Obviously, we see him an awful lot at the club. He's integrated with, within the club. Um, he seems to be a big influence on you. Chief scouts are coming to the thing. Yeah, it's, it, it's his hobby, really, but I think more than anything. He, he lo- he's always loved watching me play football. I can probably count on my fingers how I many I mean, games he's missed. And he always does that very reluctantly. He's either, he's either out the country or it's not very often where he... Well, he's never just said, oh, I'm not coming today. It's There's always been a reason why he's coming. For a lot of it, really, I, I, do, I do play for him, really. I, I know that he enjoys it. He enjoys it a lot. And it's kept me going at times where I'm thinking, oh, I'm not really fancying it. And, you know, some people might look at that as a negative, but I, I don't at all. It's... It's allowed me to keep playing because I think if it wasn't for him, there would have been times where I've probably been a little bit weak mentally and just thought, oh no, I'm, I'm sacking it off. I'm going to go out on Friday and Saturday instead. So yeah, it, he's a massive, he's a massive part of it. He's, he loves it probably more than I do. Um, I think he speaks to Duff more than I do, just about going to games and things like that because he obviously lives down in Worcester. So it's quite easy for him to get to get to different games and watch some games. So he's um, he's a bit fanatic about it really. I think I'm going to be playing for as long as I am, just so. Long as I can, just so he can uh, he can keep up with his hobby because I don't know what he'll do after. Hopefully, my lads will be will be at the age where they start playing, then he can he can start watching them. Another bond I want to mention is with the Congleton fans as well, because we often hear around the ground the chant of Dave Parton, England's number one. That must have been a dream dream of yours, isn't it? When you were younger, to to hear have somebody chanting that chant to you. What does it mean to have this the, the support of the Congleton fans? I'm glad they haven't got long memories because, like I said, after my first two games, I don't think they were singling as number one at me. But yeah, I've got, for whatever reason, they've sort of took me as, as one of their own, really. I really enjoy speaking to them after the games and the, uh, the, the knowledgeable lot. And yeah, they, they love it. And, and, that, and that's the main thing. And it's really nice to, when you hear your name getting shouted out, shouted out, should I say, for the good things. Obviously, I get some time to get some bad things as well. But yeah, they, they, uh, they're a brilliant bunch and they, they're really committed to the club. and. Uh, and I know we've had our crowds have gone up this season, but you've still got that core bunch who have watched some rubbish from what I hear. So that they're, they're they're sort of the heartbeat of the club. And without them, you haven't got a club, have you? So it's whenever I can give something back, just a, a hello or a handshake or a cheers. That's I think that's what it's all about. Did you ever expect a fan would buy you a pair of goalkeeping gloves? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, it's very much appreciated. I'm doing another one actually. So if he's got a few quid, I could I could do with another pair now coming up to Christmas. <laughs> but no, it was it was it was really um, it was really thoughtful, and um, I can't thank I can't thank him enough for that. So cheers, Goldie. You do have to have a tough skin, I think, to be a goalkeeper because you're so close often to the kind of away fans. But you seem to enjoy a bit of banter with the supporters. Yeah, honestly, there's not one thing they could say to me that's going to get under my skin at all. It, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. They can call me whatever they want. Generally, in non-league, they're, they're a good laugh once they know that you're not taking it too seriously. They're, they're generally a good bunch. Obviously, get a couple of muppets, but it's yeah. I, again, that's part of it. It's not like it's the Premier League where you've sort of got to zone it all out. I, I I play a little bit better when when I'm sort of having a laugh with them and things like that. So it's all good for me. You're a teacher, but you're not a sports teacher, are you? No, I've got brains. Yeah, all all these others, they just they just take a bag of balls and some cones out and just you know allowed to go and play. Yeah, no, I'm a history teacher. Believe it or not. What made you go down the history route rather than the sports route? So I was probably getting twenty three, twenty four. I was a I was a sports coach, not earning very good money really. It was quite an easy job. I was a bit bored of it really. And my wife's a teacher as well, and she sort of just said like you'd be a really good teacher. And I always looked for oh, no, that that time's passed now. I'm a bit 
too old at 24, 25, which sounds stupid now. And it got to the stage where we went we went away for a Christmas. And we had, I had two weeks off for the first time ever at Christmas. And I thought, oh, I fancy a little bit of this, actually. This is, like, this, is, this is what I want to do. And I looked at the sports degree, but didn't really enjoy it. It didn't really take me fancy, really. It was it wasn't stuff that I was I was I was interested in. Uh, whereas history, I've always loved history. I've always been a bit of a bit of a geek, if you like, about history. Always, and that's again that comes from my dad watching the History Channel on on Sundays, watching World at War and things like that. So I just took it from there, really, because I just thought, well, if I'm going to spend three years of my life doing something, I'm going to have to. Um, it might as well be something I'm going to enjoy. It went, it went from there, really. I ask this question to all the, the players that come on the podcast. If you could play alongside any player in world football, who would you pick and why? I don't know. It's quite tough as a goalkeeper, really. It, it'd have to be a defender. It might be someone like Van Dijk or something like that. A, re- a really good defender. Cannavaro or Nesta or someone like that uh, from the past who would um, make my life a lot easier so I don't have to do much. It'd be, some, it'd be someone along those lines. And finally, a bonus one for you because you're a goalkeeper. If you could spend kind of an hour with any goalkeeper in the world to learn from, who would you want that player to be and why? Someone like Peter Schmeichel, I think. Yeah, so so someone who's who's, who's been there and done it all, and yeah, Peter Schmeichel, I think, would be my mum. Brilliant. Well, Pete, thank. So, didn't know why I said Pete. Thinking you're Pete. Like him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies for that, Dave. Um, Dave, thanks a lot for for being on on the podcast, and thank you for all the memories. And hopefully, there'll be many more to come as well. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Cheers for doing this, mate. That was definitely Dave Parton, and thanks again to Dave for his time. It's back to league action for Congleton this Saturday when they host Romulus at the Cleric Stadium. The reserves also return to league action as they travel to Parklands after their win in the Crew Challenge Cup last weekend. The ladies' first team are at home in the Cheshire Cup against Nantwich Town. That's a 2pm kickoff at Congleton High School on Sunday. We hope to see you there and as always thank you for listening to the Congleton Town Football Club Podcast. <laughs>